everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. Hey everybody, this is Wayne Dorband and my guest Hugh Goble, as well as Mark who's behind the glass and why don't the two of you say hi to the audience real quick. Hugh, go ahead. Hi folks, thanks for joining us tonight. And Mark, say hi to everybody. Hello everyone, welcome to the webinar. Alright, that's Mark and, and Hugh. So Mark's going to be helping us with questions. And so let me just start out just giving a little instruction because I see a bunch of new people that are out there. If you have a question at any time, put it in the little box that says question on your dashboard. Hugh likes to have questions asked while he's doing a presentation. So we'll probably try to answer it during the presentation if, again, it's, it makes sense. If not, at the end of this, we'll have another, we'll have another question and answer time. So, Let's set this up real quick. This is the economic action team. That's why you're here for a webinar today that's being um, what we call a guest speaker webinar with Hugh Goble. And I'm going to start out to, and spend about 10 minutes just asking Hugh some questions about himself. Then Hugh's going to go into a presentation and he's going to spend about 40, 45 minutes or so on that. And then at the very end, we'll do a few more questions. Um, if you guys have them, and if you don't, I know I'm going to have several other questions that I'll throw out to Hugh. I'm trying to move around so this this light isn't like right in my eye. How does that look when it's right there? Ah, right in my eye. Um, so that's going to be our format. And um, I met Hugh through one of these sessions. Hugh, I'm not remembering exactly when, September-ish, October sometime maybe. So yeah, Hugh has probably. been a member of the community. How did you how did you find out about Eat? How did you get involved initially? Uh, I subscribed to William Horvath's newsletter, so I got it through that. So William is who introduced Hugh, so that's how Hugh got involved. And as you know, this is the same time slot in which William, every other week, is going to be doing his presentations. Our hope, and it's all based on whether he wants to do it and whether we all like him. So this is sort of a test for him here today. Um, and I'm optimistic that we're going to like him. And, and um, hopefully you guys will tell us that at the end of the presentation by putting in ones. And you can do that, by the way. On, on a webinar, you can't clap out loud. Ones are clapping. Nines, I hope I don't see many of those, are booing. All right, So it's kind of the two ends of the spectrum. So if you put a one in, it means you're liking what you're hearing, and if you put a nine in, it means you're not. Um, but at the end, we're going to hopefully applaud for, for Hugh. The goal is that if, if Hugh begins doing a series for us, which I think is, I'm optimistic, he'll do it every other week when, when um, William isn't. So it'll be a cool segment because the, um, Hugh came to us through William. I think everything he's going to talk about is going to fit very well in with what William's doing. It'll fit in very well with what all of our speakers are doing. So um, anyway, that's that's going to be the goal here. So as I said, I'm going to start out by just asking you a little bit, and I think maybe he'll be able to show us something that he did yesterday to me. So Hugh, tell us where you're at in the world, um, sort of a little bit of your past, sort of why you're kind of where you're at, and sort of what that's done to bring us up till today. So your location. And then also sort of what you do and why you're doing it and bringing us up to speed. Okay, so I'm at, well, not at, uh, sorry, wrong one. We're, we're, I live in South Africa in the um, KwaZulu, whoops, I need to close that, in the KwaZulu-Natal province, which is in the eastern side of South Africa. Uh, we're not... Uh, actually right at the bottom of South Africa, which is the next last step before Antarctica, but we're kind of here on the east coast. Um, you can see this is my, our province of KwaZulu-Natal. 
our capital uh, of the province is Peter Maritzburg, and the largest city is Durban, which is on the coast. Very lovely subtropical place with great beaches. And the little red dot appearing is the piece of land we've identified. I currently live on rented on a rented property. Uh, let me get my orientation. Uh, so we live over here at the moment, and we found this piece of land, which is a, uh, 32 hectares, 80 acres, in the middle of a commercial plantation of eucalyptus trees. And we, our goal is to buy this piece of land by the end of 2020. So there we go. Uh, where the, uh, the our elevation there is about 1,100 meters, which is just over three and a half thousand feet, I guess, with a 150 foot elevation swing. Let me go in closer. Oops. And so down here on this uh, boundary, which is the northeastern going to the eastern boundary, is the Lions River, which is a perennial stream that we have running on the boundary of the farm. This is the, uh, we have 10 hectares, 25 acres of licensed eucalyptus. Uh, in terms of uh, timber plantations in South Africa, the growing of timber is controlled. Uh, the, the sale and conversion of timber is uncontrolled. Uh, most of our timber estates are owned by large uh, corporates, but there are, and in fact this is in the middle of a, what are we, 3,000 hectares, 8,000 acre plantation, but you can see that there's a, a lot of, the trees have been kept away from the waterways. That's a, those are the waterways, that's a floodplain. And the current owner of this is an aged gentleman. And in fact, uh, what I didn't tell you yesterday, Wayne, was his house is here and he does alpacas. So I haven't met the gentleman yet. Apparently he's a crusty old man and I'm being kept away from him. As to how I got here, well, I graduated, I've just worked out uh, with a degree in agricultural management 37 years ago from our local university in, in Peter Maritzburg. I grew up in this area and uh, have farmed but was undercapitalized and actually uh, unfortunately lost the family farm. So for the last 20 odd years I've been implementing business systems for manufacturing companies and mines and power generation companies, renewable power companies and that kind of thing. Um, the nature of that work has taken me away from home for long periods and um, I have taken the decision that I need to settle down, hence this idea of buying the farm and to be honest, doing this training, these courses, is my way of staying at home. Um, how are we doing, Wayne? Anything else you want? No, we're doing great. That was very helpful. Before you go back, go back to that Google Earth. You told yeah. me something yesterday that I want you to expand on. Um, go out, so zoom out so we can see the ocean and the mountains again. Tell everybody sort of your proximity and, and we'll see that range because you can actually see it on Google Earth to the left hand. There we go, we're getting it yeah, there. Yeah, so, and, so obviously to the right is the ocean. We're uh, by road 116 kilometers from the ocean. So just on 70 miles from the ocean and we're probably 50 miles from the mountains. Um, and didn't you say you could, you could actually swim in the ocean one early in the day and go up and, and uh, be in the snow sometime of the year? The, yes, the end absolutely. Of the day, right? So Durban itself, in fact, the whole of the East Coast is very subtropical. Uh, the ocean is a warm ocean. Uh, I think our temperatures are normally about 23 to 28 degrees, so it's very warm. Their winters, well, they don't even happen. Um, Durban suffers 
if the temperature doesn't go over 58 degrees. Uh, it's suffering a cold spell uh, if it's at 58 degrees. Normally in this 65 to 70 degree, uh, that's winter, summers are hot and humid, very much like the Mississippi Plains, if I can put it like that. I went there years ago and that's I felt I was in Durban. Um, and we get snow on these mountains. In fact, where we live, there has been snow. We didn't have snow last uh, this past winter, and it was quite a snowy winter this year. But uh, we missed the snow. But it does get cold with warmish days. So we do go below freezing, but normally we, our temperature will climb to the 60 de 60 degree Fahrenheit mark. In winter, so and you do get frost. Exactly. So how many frost days do you have? Uh, we probably have seventy or eighty frost days a year. Uh, up here, more like one hundred and twenty frost days. The, um, where am I? Somewhere up there is where I actually grew up. Um, yeah, just across another. Uh, range of hills. Okay. Um, yeah, so we have a mild climate. I actually need to look it up in terms of your zones, American zones, to see where we would fit in. Uh, in terms of my experience in the early 80s, we went from Kansas City through down to Florida, then up the East Coast. Asheville, North Carolina reminded me the most of home. Okay. Okay. Um, and eucalyptus can take that frost, right? If, what would it take if there were 120 days of frost? Would eucalyptus be would, would eucalyptus struggle? Oh no, it'll grow in any conditions. It really? grows okay. in drought. It, uh, we don't, it's very we don't find eucalyptus in the U.S. other than in really the almost subtropical. So it's not. We must have yeah. a different species, actually. So, yeah, so our eucalyptus came from Australia, thanks Aussies, um, and it's uh, the most popular timber that we have in terms of structural timber. Uh, we, we also grow Pinus patula in large estates, um, mainly for pulp and for uh, building timber. Uh, our buildings, however, are normally brick or some sort of masonry with a roof on top. So really our timber in a, in a house is only the roof struts and that sort of thing. Okay. Well, I think that's great. That's a good start. I'm sure as you go through your presentation today, and like I said, hopefully in future times you're going to talk more about yourself. But I just have a couple of really cool questions that I usually like to ask our guests. And I've told you about several of them, but let's start with this one. Um, who would who would have been a person in your youth who was very impactful on your life other than your parents? So somebody outside of your immediate family. And again, it, it just you don't have to give specific names. If you want to, you can. But who's a person that impacted you and why? Um. It's difficult to say because one of the th criticisms I have is of my education, a very poor RO ROI. But if I can say that Alan Savory had started out in Zimbabwe by the time I got to university and he was already making an impact in the late 70s. That's a good one. And Alan's the, that's, you're the first one who's given Alan and you're close. I mean, so to know that he's there in the local area and it's impacted. All right, let's... Um, Let's go to more recently. Who is impacting you now in terms of a person that you're following and that, that has some importance to you? If I could, yeah. So my, if I can, I'm a, um, a reborn agricultural scientist. I have changed my view on agriculture um, and Although I was grew up and was educated as a scientist, I do believe that we've had to change, and nobody has had more effect on me over the last five years than Joel Salatin. Okay, very cool. 
All right, well, a couple more on sort of the different times in your life. Let's pretend that you were 15 years old and it's a beautiful afternoon, weekend probably, and you don't have anything else you have to do. What would we find you doing? What would you just be hanging out and doing? Well, at that stage, uh, my father's tractors weren't safe from the two boys. I had a, a brother who was 11 months younger than me, and we took every opportunity to sneak, a tra sneak two tractors and uh, go racing around the farm. All right. Did you ever, uh, ever have any accidents that you wished you wouldn't have uh, had to get caught did happen? Oh, absolutely. We snuck the tractors. We both, in fact, in one weekend, we both each had an accident. We hid the tractors, but did get found out. Okay. So now let's fast forward till today. Again, Hugh's got. Look at this. This is the property, by the way, that that Hugh is 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 showing, and it, it's what it looks like. Pretty cool. Um, what um, what would you do today on a day again, an afternoon, beautiful? and you just don't have anything you have to be doing and you're going to do something for fun, what's Hugh going to be doing for fun? Well, that's a difficult one. Typically staying at home, enjoying my life at home. Okay. Um, I've spent so much of my life away from home that just to be able to chill at home, preferably on the uh, patio with a glass of wine, okay. uh, that's great fun for me. Awesome. Um, a little bit... Go to the other side of the spectrum. Tell us about some event that has occurred in your life, just as specific as you want to be or as general, that at the time it happened was pretty negative, but you can look back on it now and say, you know what, it was negative then, but it really has worked out for the better for today. Well, I guess, uh, Wayne, it was when I lost the family farm, and uh, that was a very upsetting time of life. You, that's not what you want to have to tell your parents and your children and all of that kind of stuff. So, But yes, it's made me stronger and I've certainly, part of what I'm going to t passionate about now, which is about planning, was born from then because that I didn't plan and the result was a mess. All right. Well, that's a good place, I think, for me to stop. I had a couple more I was going to ask, but I'm going to just now set it up for, for Hugh to go into his presentation. I don't see any other questions here right now, so we, we can move ahead. But let me just set this up, and I'm going to summarize a little bit of what I just heard from Hugh and what I know. This guy's a, this guy's a farmer, okay, guys? This is not somebody that we brought in here dressed nice, that's a financial planner and a budgeter and a CPA here we'd say in the US who maybe happened to go to a farm once in his life and now is consulting and advising. I could introduce you to 50 of those kind of guys here in Colorado even who have no business giving advice to farmers and yet they do. They've never farmed, they probably don't have a little even a garden in their backyard and yet those are the people that are, that are doing advising for budgeting and financial planning to farmers. Hugh is a farmer. You heard a little bit of his story and you heard a horrible part about it, but you just got, but yet he grew from it. And that's the other message that I just wanna leave with and then I'm gonna let Hugh go. And that's it, guess what? There isn't anything that's happened in any of your lives, of those that are watching this live and those that are gonna watch the replay that you can't recover from and you can't turn it into something that's positive for you and for this planet. And hopefully what we get here from Hugh the rest of the day today, and hopefully even over the long term, if he's able to stay with us and teach us much more about this topic, that we'll get some value from. So with that, Hugh, it is all yours. I'm going to, in just a couple of seconds here, I'm going to turn my webcam off and you go for it, man. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks for that intro. Okay, so folks, let's start with this farm budget blueprint. As I said, uh, through poor planning and uh, zero planning, I did lose, I made bad decisions, which resulted in me losing the family farm. So 
part of what I've had to learn, learn and to get back on my feet is to understand how to plan and how we need to go ahead. So why should we plan? Well, my favorite quote from, for right now is from Alice in Wonderland. If you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. I think it's important that we learn to set our direction and priorities and also to define our view of success. It's no use just using a hit or miss approach to life in this planning of our operations. If we were leaving on a road trip somewhere, there's no ways we'd do it without a map. Why do we set ourselves on a life journey without a map? It allows us, goal setting will allow us to identify our objectives clearly. And that, again, helps us keep focused. And it'll simplify decision making because decision making now just becomes a simple yes or no. Does this t take us towards our goal, yes or no? We can, anything is no, we don't do. It's that simple. If you don't have the goal, you can't ask, answer that question about whether you're heading in the right direction or not. And it sends the right message to your team. One of the things that I want to emphasize is, and that is the thing that I'd like to help people with going forward is you can't have a one-man planning team or a one-person planning team. It doesn't work. This is what I used to do and have done many times and unfortunately each time has led to failure. You've got to have the devil's advocate who helps you stay on your path. And that's the role of, a, if you have no one else, because generally we're small businesses, one-man operations, then that's why you could probably use the services of a coach who can help you pick your way through this thing. But if you have a team, at least if you have a goal and everyone's aware of the goal, the message stays consistent. So we need to have a goal. I said to you, we're looking at our piece of land that we've identified. Our goal is December 31st, 2020, we want to own that piece of land. From that, we can work backwards. Okay, there are only four years to December 2020, but anyway, we can work backwards to know what our 27 uh, goal must be. That will help us along our path to hitting our goal in 2020. Okay, so apart from uh, setting goals, it's also important that we look at our environment. And I've called this upside down thoughts because it's kind of contrary to what I was taught at university. So I want to go through and give you a quick economics primer of where I see, how I see, sorry, I apologize. What I see is being the cause of industrial agriculture. Then a couple of quick mini definitions, just so that we're going ahead with the right thing. Okay, so in 1937, a gentleman, by an economist by the name of John Maynard Keynes, he was a Brit, established a, an economic system, and that has been what we've run on, if I can say, in the Western world, since that time. Remember 1937 is towards the end of the um, Great Depression and basically Keynesian economics pushes for maximum production and maximum consumer spending. Hence the growth of huge farms, the um, ultimate target of, of most efficient farms, the, the birth of scientific agriculture. Before the Second World War, then, there weren't any artificial fertilizers. Come 1946, they were inundated with it. So his three, uh, the, the three backbones of his economic system was 
the law of diminishing returns, which said that whatever you're producing, you must produce to the point at which you make no more profit. So um, as you put more stuff in, you will produce, you will get less of a return from it until the point you'll reach a point at which the, whatever you put in, be it whatever resources you put in, are equal to the, res to the resulting product. And that's the point at which we must produce. The next one was the law of comparative, is, because it, it still applies today, the law of comparative advantage. So that states that if someone can make it cheaper than you, or better than you, or more efficiently than you, you should subcontract it to them. And finally, opportunity cost. This is a very difficult concept for me to understand because no money changes hand. But I think the easiest way that I can picture it is let's imagine a dairy farmer who feeds his calves milk. In terms of opportunity cost, is lost revenue because he didn't sell it. He or she, I apologize. The fact that if that was sold, the farmer would then have to buy a milk replacer, doesn't enter into the equation. So it's about maximizing production and on the other side of it, maximizing consumption. It did help them to pull through the Great Depression and it certainly helped the economic growth since uh, World War II. But I think it's had its run and we need to uh, move on from that. So now the definition or the difference between being rich and being wealthy. Rich is a function of income. So you can earn a lot of money, you can earn your million dollars a year, but if you're spending all of it again, you're never going to get wealthy. However, wealthy is a function of expenditure. The person who earns $1,000 a month and only spends 900 is much wealthier, will end up being much wealthier than the rich person who spends every cent they earn. Okay, so part of what I've learned over the last few years is this concept of plugging the leaks. All of our money, all of our sales come into our bucket, our bank account that holds our money. Unfortunately, typically that bucket tends to leak. And we have this problem that our money leaks out into third parties. We also have a concept of a multiplier effect where which again in economic speak, just says that money spent within an economy gets more value than the actual amount. So I'll give you a little story here. Let's assume I live, by the way, in a tourist area of the country. We have lots of rural bed and breakfasts. So let's assume our local bed and breakfast owner takes a booking and her client pays a deposit of 100. I've tried not to use any currencies here so that it's uh, just a comparison. She thought this was wonderful and headed out to the local butcher to stock up with meat. This butcher took the money, takes the 100 and pays the farmer for his supplies. The farmer has had some veterinary work done and uses the cash to pay the vet. Um, vet has just completed his tax return, so he needs to pay the accountant. And let's say the accountant's got a big wedding anniversary coming up and decides to make a booking at the original B&B. &B. So the original internet booking of 100 actually generated 600 in the community. So this is a reasonably small community. I'm saying that we can take this even smaller and let it be our farm. We need to um, be sure that what we're paying for is worth it. Not because it's convenient, 
I'll take this up a little later again when we look at our um, enterprise budgets. So here's our leaky bucket, all our sales going into the pot and our leaks coming out, the transport, the fertilizer, the feed, the seed. Okay, we need, as farmers, although we think and believe that we're producers, we're often not only producers. We're often mainly consumers. So let me take a look. I took a University of Iowa budget for, for commercial soybeans for 2016, and this is how it looks. The farmer, the operator, only gets 17% of the revenue. All the rest is what I call a leak. It's leaked out of his system and is not benefiting the system. And the result is our commercial farmers are typically cash poor. And oh, by the way, that was me 15 years ago. Okay, profit. What is profit? So accountants define profit as being the difference between the amount earned and the amount spent. And this applies to businesses as well as salary earners. I don't think that farmers should only consider the cash, the monetary definition of this, because we have other components of profit. These include our lifestyle. We choose to live and, in, and work in rural areas because we like it, which is a social profit. And our if impact on the environment and we get a whole lot of other things while we're doing what we're passionate about. This concept is called a triple bot bottom line and it is actually used in industry as well and has been fairly widely adopted. The principles are people, planet and profit. So the cash portion of it is only a, a portion. I recently read on a permaculture forum a response from a member saying that he didn't believe that permaculture farms had any business making any profits. I'm presuming that he was referring to the cash portion of it because I don't think there's anyone out there who's going to argue about us the profit we get by improving the planet and helping the people on the planet. I have issue with this because it is only the money, the surplus money, the difference between the money coming in and the money going out that gives us the resources to invest to reach our goal. And in fact, David Holmgren's 12 permaculture principles even includes a comment about profit. The principle number three says obtain a yield. You can't work on an empty stomach. Ensure that you are getting truly useful rewards as part of the work that you're doing. So profit, I think, when we could be considered a dirty word. And I, I prefer to think of it as a gold fund. This is the fund that we're trying to build so that we can invest to reach our goal. Okay, so those are the background concepts that I think we need to head in as tools that we can use to build a successful farm budget. Okay, the five steps that I've set out in farm budgeting process on annual review, planning the income, and you'll see here I've got planning the profit because that's what the difference between the income and the expenditure without considering the other two P's. Create the annual forecast and then monitor the performance. Okay, it's a plan that is set in stone isn't actually a plan, it's rather it could be considered a dream. At all stages in our lives, we need to refer back to our plan and see where we are in relation to it and 
monitor our performance, control it, and then replan if necessary. So that's our planning cycle with, within these five steps. Okay, so the annual review. Uh, let's rev we need to review the current situation uh, to get answers to three questions. Did we reach our financial targets? What went right and can we expect the same again? What went wrong and how can we fix these? In holistic management, these things that went wrong are called log jams. And part of the training that I provide is to analyze, to go to root cause and find out how we can address these log jams further down, further along in the process. But after this annual review, we can come up with idea, a starting point for the next planning period. Okay, so we start by planning the income. Only the income at this stage and we consider which enterprises we're going to con continue with. For much you just a corn farmer or a soybean farmer or a chicken farmer. I think in a sustainable farming environment we know that we need to have multiple enterprises. We can't just do it with one. Excuse the spelling mistake there. Um, are we going to discontinue any um, enterprises because of the log jams that are going to that are too big for us to address? Are we considering new enterprises? And these enterprises may well be just time-based. So if we've planted uh, fruit trees or nut trees. Yeah, we might have had a five-year, ten-year gap until production comes in. So, we need to complete a gross margin analysis to plan farm income. In my next slide, I try and define um, gross margin analysis. This is a classic from my agricultural economics days, and I must have done thousands of, the, of these over the year. It's our enterprise income minus our enterprise expense, expenses. Gives us a gross margin. In normal retail world or trading world, it's what the rest of the world calls gross profit. But we've chosen gross margin in agriculture. There are problems with this concept for sustainable farmers, as it's often difficult to allocate expenses specifically to an enterprise. And here I'm thinking of pasture establishment and maintenance costs. So on my pasture, it doesn't produce any revenue itself, but it has, certainly has input for my dairy cattle and for their calves that are being raised for beef and for the sheep and for the pastured poultry. So they, it ha definitely has impact, but I can't allocate it to any one of these enterprises. So typically what I do is I work with a farm gross margin, which is I separate out my different sources of income, but essentially my expenses, my direct expenses, I allocate to um, the farmers as such. I'll show you an example shortly. Um, there is still a problem with doing a gross margin analysis because we've got fixed or overhead costs to cover. And we need to keep planning in a cycle to make sure that we're doing enough. So here's a picture of my um, gross margin analysis. And obviously values are difficult, but so we have a dairy, a livestock enterprise, uh, by the way, my dairy is 12 cows, 10 in milk at any one time. I'm expecting to get 12 calves for sale from them. Um, I'm doing 5,200 5, chickens a year. And in order to prevent um, my um, bucket from leaking, 
I have a flock of laying hens which will produce my fertile eggs for hatching as day-old chicks. So you'll see that my chicken enterprise, and by the way, the unit price is what I can get for a live chicken in South Africa, a four-pound chicken, and it works out at $5 US. So, so I can, I can rear chickens with no ostensible costs. This is not true because I have other costs. I have the costs of the pastures. I have the costs of the stuff that I'm growing that is not shown on the spreadsheet. Uh, whether I'm growing some grains for them, whether I'm doing some protein um, and my next plan is to breed soldier, uh, soldier, black soldier flies to give to feed to the chickens. Likewise, the dairy, I have a, um, my dairy cows, 10 of them, I only milk once a day, only during the week, so five day week, and so in production terms, not a lot of milk out of them, but they don't cost me a lot either. Basically, my, I currently uh, buy two replacement heifers, from a breeder because all my cows are crossbred to give me a beef type uh, calf that I can raise for meat. After I've accumulated these costs, I get a total sales revenue, less the operating costs, and gives me a, a, my gross margin, my farm gross margin. As I say, over on the right is a column that includes pastures, labor, electric, uh, utilities, and that kind of stuff for the farm. So we plan the profit. Now, traditionally, from an accounting point of view, profit is income minus direct costs minus the overheads, and what's left is called a profit. However, we need to, I believe, we need to look at profit from a different point of view because this is our resource that we can use to invest to take it, us to our goal. Hence, the idea that I don't call it profit, but I call it a goal fund. So the planning system that I've learned, and those of you who've done the holistic, the Holistic Management Institute uh, financial system, planning system, will recognize this. We plan the profit first, so we allocate Instead of leaving profit to chance, we say, right, we want to build a fund of a fixed percentage from which we can develop, invest to build towards our goal. So my formula is income minus direct costs is equal to the goal fund minus the overheads. So overheads come last in my planning. And we pay ourselves first. Uh, most of the small business seminars I've ever been on have said always pay yourself first. Um, I've never been in a position to do that until I changed the, my approach to use this kind of planning system. Right, once we've done this we need to categorize our expenses. So we know we want a goal fund. The next two categories are leaks from our bucket that we cannot avoid. We, ha we may have debt commitments and we will surely have unavoidable expenses. These unavoidable expenses are things like land taxes and maybe irriga purchasing irrigation rights or something like that. Then we have what are called business building expenses. Business building expenses are expenses that you incur to build your business. Whereas the last ones, maintenance, and, and please, maintenance may not be the right word, but maintenance isn't just painting the barn and fixing the tractors, but it is the maintenance of the business. So the difference between the two is business building allows you to increase the value of your business and move you along your path towards your goal. Maintenance or expenses 
or expenses that are incurred but have no add no real value to your business. Okay, so my apologies. Let's go back to that. So typically, um, in my in my maintenance expenses are telephone, the cost of my accountant, um, stationery, printing, that kind of stuff. These are costs that I need to incur as a businessman, but don't actually add value to my business. However, business building expense, you'll see in my annual forecast coming up, is for my planned uh, Black Soldier Fly operation, where I will be investing money to start breeding Black Soldier Flies to feed to the, the chickens so that I don't have to ever consider buying feed. Okay, so once we've planned these profits, and it's important to that the goal fund we must set or start with a very ambitious plan for our profit. Um, I'll show you my plan for the coming period, and you'll see I've selected a 40% goal fund. 40% of my growth margin forward, take out as a an investment fund for the future. So once we've done our enterprise budgets and we've allocated our expenses correctly, we need to complete our annual budget. I'll show you my annual budget on the next slide. And we have to break that down into a cash forecast because uh, it's a fact of life that the year budget may look as though it works, but cash may not be work out. So once we've done these, there may be iterations. We may have to juggle stuff around and, as I've heard the expression, rinse and repeat until the plan works, until we have a plan that we believe is feasible. And this is where I come back to my comment at the beginning, which, where I said, I don't believe that you can plan as an individual because the individual has their, as an individual, I have my own inbuilt bias. And if I say my cows, milking them once a day, five days a week, can produce me 20,000 pounds a year, um, that's my reality. Is it achievable? Never. So I have a farm that I've helped play with their annual plan for many years now, and I have this argument every year where he is a commercial dairy farmer, he's milking 180 cows and averaging uh, 20 pounds a cow a day, and But when we come to the budget, he says, no, he's going to be milking 300 cows and they're going to average him 40 pounds a day. And I say, but what are you averaging now? Oh, yes, but I can improve it. You've been doing this for five years and you haven't got any better at it. We need to try and mimic reality, otherwise the plan won't work. So here's our consolidated budget. Sales revenue with its operating expenses. My gross margin is is 40% on my revenue, which is reasonably okay. Remember the um, commercial soybean example I gave you earlier? Their gross margin was 40, uh, 17%. Okay, so you'll see that in the expenses budget, I've given, I've started off by saying the gold fund needs to be 50% of the gross margin. I've got a, de uh, a vehicle payment to make every month. I have some land taxes to pay. I have a build, this is my Black Soldier Fly business building expense that I have planned for this coming year. And then I have the maintenance expenses. Um, Repairs and maintenance, insurances, telephone and internet, printing and stationery, computer accounting, just normal business overheads. 
you can see on my on the right hand side of the screen I've got a balance this is just a check number that says how close are my numbers you'll see that I've allocated just over 700 too much to expenses I need to go back and juggle my expenses or adjust my goal fund by those that's 700 okay Step number five, we need to consider our planning cycle again, plan, monitor, control, and replan. But we also need to monitor performance. A plan that is not monitored is useless to anybody. So we need to have some sort of a tracking system that allows us to um, see how we're doing against plan. Um, in the time that I've worked on business systems over the many years I've become uh, quite knowledgeable in Excel and I actually run an Excel uh, online training s system and this was a fun graph that uh, someone devised for me where we're tracking the triangle is the plan and the green man on the bicycle is where we, where we are right now uh, which was roughly the 26th of November and we're 23 days behind our plan so we need to look at this and see monitor it control it and replan if we're not going to hit those things this it's important that a plan is not something done once a year and then put away in a cupboard it should be our living document that we measure ourselves again against because after all it's the thing that's measuring our progress towards our goal folks thanks for joining me today I hope you've enjoyed my presentation and I'd love to hear any questions you may have When you are muted, I saw that I didn't unmute my mic. Um, I was saying, everybody, throw your questions into the um, to the chat area, into the the little box for questions. Hugh, that was amazing. Um, exactly what at least I hoped for. I I sat there and I had I still have a bunch of questions. I didn't put them in because I really hope and believe that you're going to do this again and you're going to continue on this process with us. You're getting a whole bunch of claps from people, ones, and people saying great presentation, and that's awesome. Um, but guys, we have a little time, so if you've got some questions, throw them in here. And Hugh, tell us this while we're waiting for questions. Yeah. I think the audience is telling us that you want to do, that they want to hear you again. And, um, and you do have one question, I'll get that in just a second, but let's assume you're going to move ahead and two weeks from now, what are you going to talk about next? What will be your next topic? So, so, so my sessions that I plan to go ahead with would be the five steps, the five planning steps in detail. Okay, awesome. And so, probably make... We do have a couple questions here, so let's get to them. Um, Elizabeth said, we'd be interested in hearing about how you are marketing and selling your farm products. All right. Why don't you why don't you just talk about that? A little off of the topic, but it's important. It's certainly involved in. No, that. Elizabeth, it, it's very difficult. Um, so we we here in the in Africa have a a different problem from you guys in the, in more developed parts of the world. About sixty percent of our population have no access to chilling facilities, refrigerators, deep freezers, that kind of wow. thing. So we have, I have a market and everything except my, my own personal consumption for chickens is sold live because that means the customers don't need any storage facilities. So they're not that separated from the food process that they don't they're not happy to butcher their own chickens they're all used to that and so I have a truck going out once a day with chicken crates on it and they go off into the residential areas and sell chickens okay 
Elizabeth yeah. is our speaker tonight, everybody. Um, again, I hope you enjoyed this and all the little ones that we were getting say that you do. Please come this evening if you're if it's not sort of at 2 a.m. for wherever you're at in the world and listen to Elizabeth talk to us about um, guinea pigs, actually, and, and, and I'll do a little interview with her also. Um, so here's another question, um, and this is again a little less financial, but I actually, this is one that I was going to have, and, and if you don't give a detailed answer to this, and I, I don't know whether you were using black soldier flies sort of hypothetically, or whether that's something that in South Africa there's a real market for or a use for, because I'm an aquaculturist, and we're, we're trying to figure out in this country how to grow black soldier flies in a better way than we do. But that's, that's not the question. The question is, where do you purchase black soldier flies in South Africa, bearing in mind um, the environmental laws of South Africa? So we have, interestingly, Wayne, just uh, as an aside to that, we actually have a factory in Cape Town that has opened recently, and they're doing tons of black soldier flies a month. Wow. So that's apropos. I have contacts for, I, I've found about three people who are prepared to sell me um, parent stock, if you would, but base stock, starting stock of black soldier flies for what I want to do. Yeah, and by the way, you, you probably realize it, so this is again a little bit on my side, an amazing food source. A lot of people have done the analysis for any kind of an aquaculture system. They can literally replace the need for fish meal because they have a highest high enough level of of uh, different kinds of amino acids and, and other other nutritionist va nutrition value. So anyway, that's a little bit of an aside, but um, I hope that helps. And, and what's the second part of his question? Are there environmental laws in South Africa that would create a problem with black soldier flies that you're aware of? No, you? no I'm not aware of anything. We have a house fly problem anyway, so uh, I believe black soldier flies are easier to ma manage. Okay. And just for my chickens, at least they get to play with their food. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's a, here's a great one. This is truly on the financial side. Um, you have labor on the cost side and salaries getting paid out of gross margins. Can you explain, please? Is the salary for farm enterprise cost and the labor directly for annual care? I think there's a couple of questions there. Yeah, okay, so I, I divided them up. Uh, again, we're in a unique, uh, we're in a different situation from the situation in the US. I have four employees that work for me on the farm. Um, and so they are, they're direct costs as salaries. The labor that I put into the overhead maintenance expenses uh, is my, my salary. Okay. Um, another great one here. Um, but before I ask this one, again, I've, in my mind, I've pretty much made the decision. If you guys want to hear a bunch more weeks from you, and you'll be skipping weeks. We'll have William one week and then you next. Put some ones in here because uh, do you want to hear those five steps described in more detail? And some of you have already done that. But please, whoa, whoa, one, one, one. Please, please, one, one. Um, anyway, um, is so let me go, before I go to this great question from Maurice, it's a little bit back to Barry's. And that's, is that a secret? And this is back to the black soldier flies. And, and I don't think, he wasn't focused on that today, Barry, but so is the name of the supplier a secret or is that a name that you could provide? You I must could be, provide maybe it, Barry's I have local. to dig it out. Okay, so Barry, we'll okay. get that I'm for happy you. to share it. Awesome. I'm, so I'm guessing this the person matter. asked that question would be buying in South Africa. For them, just for reference, for them, the, the, the main guy who's most interested is in, in a city called Port Elizabeth. Port Elizabeth, Barry. So. Um, he'll have to drag, drag that out. That wasn't part of what he was, he was using that as an example today. All right, um, Barry says thank you. Um, so this is a question, a great one from, I gotta scroll back up here, from Maurice. How do you schedule, this is a good one, um, how do you schedule your record keeping with such a heavy workload, which all farmers, we a lot of, almost all successful people have? Yes, so it is difficult and it's about systematizing your business and creating the uh, systems that will help you do this. And this is 
my end goal for, for my business is to create a system that not only helps people plan, but it helps them record their expenses and gives them the feedback. Are you a quantitative guy, Hugh, just generally? You enjoy numbers and such? Yes, yeah. I would assume yeah. that. So let's assume that a person is a farmer and they aren't. They hate numbers. They don't even like arithmetic. <laughs> um, yeah. And they put off planning and so on. I, I think you gave the answer to this, but unless we get another question, this, we're going to end it on this. Give, give us just a little guidance. Of, find this, this I think it's called left brain. Is that the creative side? I always get left and right mixed up. But yeah, I don't yeah, like yeah, I'm numbers at all. Yeah, I don't like numbers at all. I try to avoid planning and doing whatever. And I right now I can't afford to do it. Is there any little hint? How could you help me? Is there something that a person like me could just get a habit into doing to where I could do a better job of just doing that record keeping that I need to do? Um, Wayne, I'll be honest with you. Um, as I look over my right shoulder, I can see the basket that holds all my pieces of paper. So what I do is I try not to pay cash for anything. I will only use a card where I have a bank transaction. That makes life a little easier. I think uh, I'm also looking at a cloud-hosted system, and I'm giving away the state secret before I'm ready, called Front Range Accounting and they will allow you to take a photo of any slip with your smartphone and upload it to the accounting system. They have optical character rec uh, recognition that will pull the numbers off, then what's left is to allocate it and I'm afraid that does involve some stuff depending on how detailed you want to be. Um, if you only load expenses, you know what they are, but we need to try and keep our expenses at least in the um, goal fund my, uh, business growth and maintenance sections, at least that. If we don't want to divide up between phones and postage and stationery, well, I don't see a problem with that. Awesome. Well, and he gave the name, it was Front Range, but we'll talk about it later, so it's a good reason for you guys to all either come back or to watch replays. I will tell you, if I were you, and even if you were here live, go back and watch the replay of this. I'm going to. I'm going to do it at least once, maybe several times. And there's just little bits you can pull out in a lot of different places. I think the decision's made. Hugh's going to be back in two weeks, so two weeks from now at this same time. Well, yeah. And yeah, we're going to skip out the Christmas watch. week, I think. Oh, that's right. You know what? You're right, Hugh. We um, we did decide that we're not going to do. We're let me. You're the first group hearing this. And we're going to talk about it all. We're going to take one week a year off from live presentations from the Eat Group, and it's going to be that week in between Christmas and New Year's. It happens that those holidays fall on a two Sundays, and so we may do some some replay different things during that time. We're not going to change the scheduling. We'll put out more and more announcements of this, but if you come, and it'll show that he's actually going to be speaking during that week, but we'll skip that week, then William will be, so William will be next week, we'll be skipping a week, William will be the following week, first week in January, then he will be. So we're actually getting a little bit more of a break here. Good chance for you guys to watch the replay a bunch of times, come up with a bunch of questions, and Hugh, Hugh and I will be in contact with each other to probably and in between, he's put all his contact details up here on this last slide. I'm sure you can reach out to him separately. And um, just a couple of comments other people have had here. Um, Barry will ask this. So this will be the last one. I'm going to comment a little bit on um, um, with Eric and uh, Eric. So Eric, two Eric's, Eric Huggins and Eric Budrow. Eric Huggins said, I had, um, I had to half listen and tending to chores, so I look forward to the replay as far as future. So thanks again. And then Eric Boudreaux says, comment, Hugh. Thanks, Hugh. Seems like good stuff. In weeks to come, it would be benefit to me personally to get a better explanation of the meanings of some of the terms. That's a good point. Um, yeah. I, I think that, and, and so we'll, we'll make sure of that, because there are probably are some things that are, that are just a little more advanced, and we'll make sure those come through. Um, than used today, and some real-world examples would make them more real. Um, if you don't get them from 
um, from you. I'll give you more than you might ever want to hear, Eric and others, <laughs> from real-world examples. Um, and then last question. This is from Barry again. Are your employees at the level of keeping book themselves of what they've um, did, achieved per day, per week, and and or do they? Um, again, I think that's the question. So do you either have them or do your employees really take track and keep book of what they're doing? It's really more of an operations question, but certainly does have financial significance. No. The short answer is no. They're employed. Um, the work needs to be done. They're going to be working with chickens and cattle and uh, some pastures and maybe painting the barn all okay. in one day. I, I, it's too much recording to yeah, work I'm going to be really um, respectful of everybody's time here, and I'm going to cut it off here, but great questions. But I'm going to make one last comment. If he doesn't get to something like this, and I'm going to – Mark, you're still there, right? Mark, throw it. Tell me you're alive, and, and so talk for a second. Yeah, I'm here. Mark, how many years have you been working with me? Uh, three plus. Three plus. Where do you live? In Bangladesh. Have you ever seen me live? Uh, what was that? I, I didn't have get it. Have we ever didn't... met live? Have we ever been together face to face? No. We have no. been... Um... Yep. Do you keep track of your time? Yes, I do. Yes. I'm going to show you guys a journal, and we'll not, I'm not going to, the details aren't going to be important, but to help you for Barry for that, I do have people do that on a regular basis. And I'll show you some of the examples of the ways we do that. Completely, I'm not going to get involved in, in, in Hughes time. But I've got some suggestions about that. And I've worked with virtual assistants. I have interns that live on my farm. I have employees. There are staff that are there working right now. They do keep timesheets for different things. Now, we have some that do very standardized labor. They do exactly the same thing day after day after day. Do we require them to keep track? Okay, I shoveled poop for this hour. I fed goats for this hour. I fed alpacas for this hour. And so, no, we're just like Hugh was saying. It's, it's very routine and very, but when those people start to distinguish themselves doing that job well, the first thing I'm looking at is I'm going to advance those people if I possibly can. And the way that I can find if they're really good at that, I will start to ask them, you know what, could you keep track a little bit? I know what you do, and I'm doing this mainly because, see, I think I might have some bigger things for you. So just a little bit of hints about that. Anyway, we're going to cut it off. Thank you, guys. This has been awesome. And um, Hugh, unbelievable. And bye for now, everybody. Cheers. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks, everyone, for attending and for your kind words. Thank you. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the EAT community podcast.